This is Monica Perez here with fellow podcaster and veteran deep researcher Chuck Ocelli of the Ocelli Effect podcast and so much more. We are going to run the gamut today from pivotal false flags to real-time psyops, as well as get to know more about Chuck and his fascinating journey. So set your air to free flow and get ready to plunge into today's buddy dive. Hello, Chuck, and thank you for being here. Hey, it's great to be here with you, Monica. This ought to be interesting. We don't have enough time to cover all the false flags and craziness and psyops, but let's give it a shot anyway, right? Absolutely. No, I know. Like, that's the thing. I almost feel like this should be just us getting to know each other live and in person in front of the audience because... The thing that I like the most about you and why actually several people recommended that we get together is that I think we're both just honestly trying to figure out what's going on. There's no agenda. There's no dog in the hunt or dog in the fight. What? Whatever. Um, <laughs> so I just feel like when uh, if we're going to just try to give our own opinions of what the bigger picture I think is like what I always usually ask this at the end, but you can answer it whenever you want, like the true nature of power on earth and in the universe, how high does the conspiracy go? How perfect is, um, is the, is the coordination at what I'm watching blacklist right now at the cabal. But I also think specifics like the true nature of Giuliani and Trump, we are totally in alignment on some of that stuff. But first I want people to know a little bit about you your work, your where you're from, what your journey was, like your your big, um, you know, kind of magnum opus or seminal work is on the JFK assassination. But you know, how'd you get interested in it? <clears throat> and you know, what what's anything you want to tell us about that journey so far? All right. Well, you know, again, still the continuing journey, if you will, the continuing inquiry, as uh, Ben Jones used to uh, put it. Um, the JFK assassination, it, it was the very first thing that got me into uh, the world of, well, hey, look, maybe it's not quite as advertised, right? Uh, and it was a personal journey for me because I felt as though the Vietnam War was a criminal act committed against the American people. Uh, it, it was also a criminal act committed against the Vietnamese people. But, hey, don't mention that. Uh, you know, a after all, we had, you know, 60,000 men that were uh, killed in that in that conflict. That's not a lot, but when you consider there were another million or so returned back to the United States, uh, mutilated either physically, psychologically, or spiritually, or all the above, uh, it becomes a serious criminal act if it was, well, prosecuted under false pretenses. Wait a minute, that sounds awfully familiar, because that continues to happen in these larger conflicts, doesn't it? Um, so that for me was personal because... Uh, when I was four years old, my father committed suicide. He was a veteran. Uh, and this was uh, something that gripped me and uh, definitely shaped my life going forward. Um, and then when I applied to go to school uh, at about the age of 18 or so, you know, I, I was denied any, uh, any sort of benefits and things because my father's military record didn't exist. Uh, and that started me on a journey. Yeah, there's a personal part of this that goes beyond the JFK thing, um, where I got involved in the JFK assassination, sure, but that was out of curiosity and, and out of the fact that around the 25th anniversary, uh, when I was a teenager, they started running a lot of TV shows and I started reading. Uh, but the truth about it begins, yeah, with my father and what happened with him. Uh, he was destroyed. Uh, 
effectively in, internally as a young man uh, because he served in Vietnam. He went over there to fight communists. He he volunteered, uh, and and uh, he went on an, uh, an interesting journey where he became disillusioned and uh, uh, yeah and. Well, you know, suffered from what people would commonly call PTSD pretty severely. Um, and uh, he uh, did his best to be my my parent as long as he could, but then took his own life, which, as I said, you know, changed my trajectory irrevocably. So, yeah, I have a very big family and I have a brother who volunteered for Vietnam at that time. And he came back addicted to drugs, which he got from being literally there was he said there was a chain link fence connecting like the heroin factory with the base. And for 50 cents, they would just put a little envelope through the thing and um, whatever. There's there's a lot to that. But he absolutely struggled very severely. He was on the precipice of taking his own life. He did have a son and he just could not stick around to raise him, you know, for they're, they're friendly now, but it it's just, there was a lot of damage done and not just the PTSD of being in battle and killing people you don't know for reasons that after you wake up that you can't validate that there was also, I think a lot of psychological warfare against the soldiers themselves and against American people at that time. And if the JFK thing was a coincidence, well, it had to have dovetailed because that whole thing smacks of of a mass trauma event meant to change the culture. And, you know, that whole era from the Beatles and everything else that just that looks to me like the powers that be gave us that that conflict on purpose to to destabilize this country. Well, here's what I take as a fact. Had Kennedy uh, not been publicly executed on November 22nd, 1963, uh, we would have been withdrawn from Vietnam by the end of uh, 1965. You understand? Yeah, I So agree. the entire conflict, I mean, there are people that are arguing against this now, but the truth is if you read uh, National Security Action Memorandum 263, uh, you, you're quite aware that that was the plan. And it changed literally on the weekend that he was murdered. Um, and, and that's almost indisputable in my mind. So yeah, it's inexorably connected to the fact that on September 11, 1976, which is the date my father took his life, uh, you know, precisely that date it's connected to that. So that's why. Uh, but again, I had a government lying to me. I, I was supposed to believe in, uh, you know, the, the, the American dream and the fact that these people were working on my behalf and, you know, we live in the greatest country in the world and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, that wasn't going to be my experience. And the drug thing, you know what? Um, I'm getting into that deeply in, in an audio book that I'm, I'm creating at the moment. Uh, but that's part of my father's story also. And, and it became part of my story. Uh, the, the, the chapter that focuses on it actually is called uh, The Drug War Has, uh, has Child Soldiers as well. Yeah, I mean, not to to make this about me, but just I, I noticed that our worldview is similar. I think our backgrounds have some parallels. And I lost two siblings to the drugs. My brother was I call I think it's AZT poisoning, but they said he had AIDS. He believed them, even though he had no symptoms, but he had been a lifetime IV drug user. And my sister died with a needle in her arm. They say it was fentanyl, but also a lifetime drug user. And the my brother who came back from he was in Thailand during Vietnam, but he came back and was clean for a long time. And they started importing the drugs, the like really, really good heroin that you could just snort from Thailand. And and my other brother, who had been totally corrupted by the counterculture 
turned them back onto it. And then that gave them another 10 or 20 years of struggling with that. And I do feel like it was all uh, uh, just a plot. Like they didn't need to do that. It's not like we had this anarcho-capitalist society in the 60s and the government didn't do anything. They could have stopped it if they wanted, but they wanted the opposite. Well, that's the interesting thing. And I find this uh, this current, <clears throat> you know, alleged crisis of opioids uh, really interesting because uh, it, it, it's it's all a lie. Let, let, let's begin there. It's all a lie. Uh, my own personal history, again, I wound up, you know, mixing. I, 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 was, a, I was a guy who was whacking up uh, loads of dope when I was a kid. Uh, that was how I survived, uh, to be honest with you. My mother was a junkie. My father was involved in it, too, but he was gone. Uh, but I had to survive, okay? So I was working with stuff that is exactly the same as fentanyl in 1980. This is not new, okay? Right. It, it is exactly the same chemical. I, I was I, I recognize it today. I've seen it with, with my own eyes today. Yeah, I've been trying to figure out what's really going on here, and I and I just can't crack the code. I see there was a moment, like 2014, where they started talking about it, and it was coming in from Canada, and, oh, it's China is doing all this, and it's in everything, and I now know people who are really are dying. I can't figure it out. Crack that code for us if, you, if you've gotten that far, and you don't mind spoiling your own chapter. Well, here's the thing. It's coming from everywhere. Uh, all of the above are true, and it's being manufactured here, too. It always has been. All right? This is not new. The new focus is one thing. Uh, look, we have to rewind a little bit. You have to remember that opium has been a constant weapon uh, throughout, I mean, centuries and centuries of our history. Opium is a weapon, okay? It has been used to undermine and destroy societies from the outside intentionally intentionally if you don't know the history you got to get into it i don't mean you monica i'm talking about the listener really you're <laughs> probably somewhat aware of this at least a little bit yeah i mean even the even the whitewash stuff or the curated stuff alfred mccoy stuff like there is a lot in there yes there is but there's a deeper history here and by the way every war is a drug war okay you can always find the element whether it's you know the nazis taking speed or it's the fact that we had guys guarding you know poppy fields in afghanistan oh my yeah, gosh those pictures are crazy <laughs> okay but th these things are true all right and and this, this is the thing every war is actually a drug war now you want to go back to vietnam we could talk about the golden triangle and we could talk about the fact that there was plenty of human trafficking there was cheap drugs of all sorts that were coming in and out of there Indeed, I found out that my father was involved in running speed uh, in Vietnam as well. They used to run it in these little liquid bottles. Now, this is something that you don't get to read about in history books, and Burns ain't going to cover it in his documentary, okay? <laughs> there were all kinds of drugs in Vietnam, all right? And some of them were there to keep people awake. You had to stay alive. Uh, my father, despite the fact that his, his current record as it stands, because it reappeared in 2007, after it disappeared for many years, uh, it reappeared in a fabricated fashion. Uh, it shows him leaving the military after I was born, and I'm not noted on the record. Fun stuff. Um, anyway, another another rabbit hole, another day. That's <laughs> okay. Um, but the thing is, he uh, he was involved in moving around these liquid bottles of speed, which only a few people know about, and it was mostly for the special forces. <laughs> um, turns out my father was recruited into a military sniper unit and all these other things. Crazy, crazy stuff. And that's what I was able to dig up on him. Uh, but anyway, the JFK, asked me about JFK. I didn't even go there. 
Well, I just, just how you were interested, because I know we could do literally and might should do like three hours on JFK just with you and your take on it. But I, but I, I was interested in what, like what made it really grab you and because it takes a lot of time and effort and it's not easy to get any deeper on the research than the, the 50 years that have come before you started. So what, you know, what got you motivated to do that? Well, it all started, I was a musician, right? So I started traveling around and I'm reading these books. Uh, you know, I, I listened to talk radio and read books, even though I was a heavy metal musician, right? I, I know, totally out of character. But uh, there I go. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm realizing that I'm in cities where some people live uh, that are part of the case. So I would just pick up a phone book and see if I could find them. I'd call them up and ask them questions about stuff I read in books. That's how I started. <laughs> uh, the journey got really weird after a little while. I got into document research, uh, wound up self-educating uh, as far as uh, forensic research, uh, uh, ballistics, yes. police, all over. Yeah. How did you get, how did you get good at the research? Well, that's the thing. A lot of people call things research now, which I find funny because it's just searching around on the internet, um, which is a form of research. It's hard now though. Well, it's hard and it's easy. You see, I, I started in 96 on the internet, right? When we were exchanging things through message boards because I'd already been at it a bit. I had been to the libraries. I had gone and gotten photographs. I had, you know, <laughs> interviewed people already. Uh, you know, and, and when I went on there, it was like, let's exchange some stuff on message boards. I thought it was cool. Nowadays, it's a lot easier to get a hold of material, but it's also very easy to be misled. Uh, there, there's a lot of disinformation, uh, some of it well-meaning, some of it, you know, not so well-meaning. Okay. Um, it's amazing. Uh, you, today, you can get things through the National Archives, whereas I used to have to know what I was looking for and go there and pick up the documents myself, uh, you know, and, and all these, which also you have to learn how to do. Um, look, there, there's a wide variety of things that you have to learn how to do if you're actually going to dig into this. Uh, but uh, but for the average person who just looks around, it's a very confusing, crazy minefield of uh, of things where where whatever direction you want to go in, you can find something that seems plausible, that seems likely. Uh, and and I don't just mean the the ridiculous uh, official theory; I do mean all of the others. It, it's in so many different directions. I mean, we could be all day with that with that subject. This is something that. I notice, obviously, and it's very frustrating because it really muddies the water with people who who you might have been able to reach at another time. So like Q is an example of it. All these like false conspiracy theories. I heard I only heard your show with Sam Tripoli this morning and uh, that like I, it helped me get to know you better because your interviews are really about the person you're interviewing. And I want to know more about you, but um, that we're in agreement that there's just so much disinformation, like the flat earth thing. Obviously it's, you know, it's put there for a reason and uh, it does muddy the water. And Q I think was even, was even, you know, much more damaging because I used to have a, a following on the radio in Atlanta. I know that you're, um, are still are you still in Atlanta? No, I'm actually in Macon, but that's okay. 
Oh, oh, okay. Well, Georgia. So when I was there, I had a radio show in Georgia and when people would were starting to wake up and then as soon as Trump came along, they all got on that train. They all started parroting to me the Q stuff. And I was like, don't fall for it. Anything that is just making a huge splash like that is put there on purpose. I mean, you just absolutely, you know, it's you're just a voice in the wilderness if you're actually telling the truth. Anybody who has deep state sources, you know, that's a problem that I don't trust. But I saw that phenomenon arise, you know, not, certainly not, it wasn't there 10 years ago when I kind of got started, but it was definitely well underway when Trump got in there. And how do you, is it easy for you to discern what's the disinformation and how do you think other people should do it? Well, I, I wish that I could uh, uh, offer the great solution for everybody, but uh, unfortunately I can't. We, we've entered a strange time here. Uh, and I recognize, <clears throat> look, let's let's give a full uh, uh, praise and honor to Roger Stone, okay? You know why? Not because he's a good <laughs> guy, he's actually scumbag. I, I interviewed this guy. I know him. I, I've been involved in things said that, that where he was peripherally involved. Forget it. Uh, anyway... <laughs> But but you got to give credit where credit's due. This is precisely the kind of thing that he wanted to do, uh, and he did. He executed this very well. Uh, he he is the the originator of what we see now uh, regarding this when it comes to the cues and all that. I'll tell you how I know this. He was analyzing uh, the alt media, preparing for Trump to uh, to emerge, preparing to leverage that. Uh, in 2014. How do I know this? Because uh, somehow I became part of the wheelhouse there of his little research group. And he was familiar with my show because of the notes his people were giving him. He did very good opposition research. And uh, and, and he found out. And, and th th this he, when he was on my show, he says, I'm a big fan of your show. <laughs> I mean, I'm not saying he wouldn't be if he listened, but the, it's very unlikely that. I mean, how long ago is this? This is 2015, I think it was, around the time that, um, you know, Trump was still contending with, uh, uh, what do you call it, the, the, the Bush in Florida, Jeb Bush. Yeah. He was still oh, okay. contending with that. All right. So I, I had him on for that Clinton's War on Women book, which I think makes a lot of valid points. Uh, <laughs> see, I don't just swing one direction or the other. I'm after ever some bag. I don't care. You know. Yeah, no, but, I like uh, that. And, and Clinton's another Anyways, uh, but I thought it made a lot of valid points. He says, I'm a big fan of your show. I, I talk to him all very I said, Roger, come on, you're, you're, you're lying to me here. I mean, that's very nice of you to say or whatever, but you're lying to me because I know that he had made threats against another JFK person for disagreeing with him on a JFK book a couple of years before. And I actually offered to help protect that person. Not going to say who it was when he was making threats against him. <laughs> wow. What was the issue? What was the point of contention? Uh, well, he's one of these people who claim that uh, 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 Lyndon Johnson is definitely responsible for the assassination and blah, blah, blah. Um, but, you know, he, he does it. I, I don't want to delve into that too deeply because no, that's fine. I just wanted to know hole. the thing. I just wanted to know that one thing. So you discovered Roger Stone was the guy. Well, I discovered he was one of the guys because, like I said, his opposition research was being done. He had details on my show. He knew off the top of his head. He never listened to my show. He had no idea who he was dealing with. But he had the details because it turns out he had gone th through and made connection there. And if you notice, he's the guy who pops up on Alex Jones. He's the guy who turns Alex Jones into the, you know, the new Trump uh, progenitor in the alt media, right? 
And then the next thing you know, quite frankly, even though there was money offered to various people in the Patriot movement, okay, the Patriot radio movement, I happen to know this, uh, to support Trump ahead of him even winning the nomination, okay, in the alt media, that was one of the points of leverage they wanted to use. Is the alternative thing for some people that were outside of the box? The fact that he was signaling by saying, you know, the Iraq war was BS. The, the fact is that Bush did things wrong. All that stuff that we were saying for many years in the alt media circles, in the alternative thinking area, which had nothing to do with partisan politics, that was about the false left-right paradigm, that was about it's all BS, they're all part of the same show, they're all part of the same corporate entity, get used to it, okay, nobody's on your side. The people that were saying that, they hijacked it. They hijacked it really, really well, and that was Roger Stone's little psyop, and he does it well. You know, some people say that uh, what, 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 rat. Let's let's be let's be kind. Rat fornicators is that is that idea? Yeah. Uh, that's what <laughs> sure. they call them. Um, but either way, opposition research, flinging dirt in different directions. This is Roger Stone's bread and butter, and he was part of that campaign. Go back, look at the history, and you'll know. You can track it. He gets away from it. He walks away officially. But believe me, the, the methodology remained behind. And that's exactly how that all got started. Now, this Q thing, on the other hand, I think that might have been dreamed up by some people on, uh, you know, the alternative message boards. Uh, but again, a PSYOP that get, definitely was uh, uh, lended a hand by some people who were in the know, did have some power and were able to make it big. And then it was legitimized by the president of the United States. Wow. <laughs> you know, I know. What a, this is like the plot of a bad B movie from the 90s already. It's like when Hillary Clinton said that she was frustrated in the basket of deplorables, whatever, and Alex Jones. I was like, wow, she just like doubled Alex Jones, you know, which are already sizable listenership. She just doubled that in one sentence. Oh, yeah. No, but, but that's and that's the key here. Everybody goes after and say, well, look, Trump was being, you know, he was facing off with the uh, MSM. You should be on his side. He's, you know, they're against him. They weren't against him. You got to look at this again. See, I love how you brought that up to begin with. You got to look at the larger picture, right? You can't view a parade standing on the ground watching it go by because you don't know how it ends. You got to go up in the air, baby, because then you can see the whole thing. You can see the beginning and the end. Tell you what happens here. Trump wasn't somebody who was opposed by anybody in the media. He was a commodity. He was programming. He was the, the, the content. CNN has a foil all day long where they have programming all day long. Now they don't even have to invest money in any sort of investigative reporting. Yes. Oh, I have to say the only reason or the number one reason I thought that he would win over Biden. Well, there were two reasons. One was I knew they wanted actual conflict about the election. And I felt and I feel that I was correct in in thinking that the Republicans were not going to cause violence. They just weren't. They don't protest violently. And that did not happen. January 6th was totally made from whole cloth, that idea that it was violent or anything. But it would have been easier to just trigger the left that's been program to to get triggered and to actually show up in force and b disobey rules. And um, so I felt that. But I also felt that 
They had such amazing entertainment value with this guy. 24-7 news cycle, just absolutely edge of the seat. What is he going to say next without ever caring about the policies at all? Anything could have happened on his watch and did. I mean, he had those executive orders. He did warp speed. He did all of that stuff. But when he calls Maxine Waters a cow, everybody talks about it for three days straight. I mean, how do you replace that? And now... With Biden, like, I, I can't even bring myself to read the newspaper. I went from five shows to one show, basically, because there was, it just wasn't engaging. And, and just as bad stuff is happening, if not worse. Well, see, the beauty of it, though, is that you could feel exhausted. You could feel important. You could feel pissed off. And all of it out of the same set of actions. It was a grab bag, a, 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 a uh, what did they used to call that uh, uh, when, when you could... Uh, a la carte. Okay. The a la carte menu. All right. Pick your reaction. Okay. Pick your solution because yes. you talk to somebody about what went on during those four years, depending on their political orientation, a lot got done. Nothing got done. There was nothing but chaos. It, it's a totally like just, you know, it's a Rorschach test. It's a, tell me what this ink blot looks like. That's it. And that's all it is. It was an ink blot for four years. What really got done in those four years? What you're describing is exactly how I described what Trump's approach. So Obama's approach, I used to say, was like psychic paper. Like if you watch Doctor Who and he'll put a piece of paper up and you read onto that paper whatever it is that you want to see or he wants you to see. With Trump, he did the opposite. He didn't put up a blank piece of paper. He put everything up there at once. Like immigrants are rapists and nice people. There's, you know, Nazis and both sides or whatever. And then you just got to pick which thing you heard. So if you listen to CNN or Fox, that night, you would hear the soundbite, the first part or the second part. He put everything on there. And that's what you're, I think that's similar to what you're talking about. Exactly. <laughs> so he was perfect. And you know what? Take a look back at how those corporate entities, so th those broadcast entities were doing. Okay. Previous to Trump coming in office, they were dying. They were getting their heads beaten in by people like us. That's what was happening. Not no more. Their ratings went up, their business models changed, they're all over the map now, but you know what? They all got healthy off of Trump. Not just Fox, but MSNBC, but see. Zucker was running CNN, and he's the one who put, who trained Trump as the boss in The Apprentice. It's so obvious. Yeah. I grew up in New Jersey, okay? I grew up in New Jersey, a little time in New York, New York, New Jersey. I'm well familiar with this guy. I couldn't believe it that people were going to buy this nonsense. All right. I know. I really couldn't. I said to Roger, I, and I said to Roger, I said, Roger, this, this can't be serious. Because I know Trump, he's full of crap. He, he, he beats everybody he can in business. This is what he does commonly before, before he got into the in office, I said this. You know, he beats everybody in business commonly. I, I've, I've actually met him. <laughs> One time I met him. And uh, in funny circumstances, I shook his hand uh, at a backstage thing for a WWE bodybuilding crap. I forget what it was, but something in Atlantic City. Um, and, and I happen to know the guys who ran security, so I was there. Um, but it's so funny. Uh, I, I was standing there with, uh, let's call them Italian businessmen that I happen to know. Uh, and they said, you know, the funny thing about this guy is that he'll beat everybody else for a dollar, but not us. I say, yeah, I figured that, you know. <laughs> so, but th this right. is reality here, uh, which cracks me up because it's like, 
everybody who would who was from there should have known this is a real estate hustle from queens all right and he's made nothing but his name uh marketable all right how do you go broke in atlantic city in three different casinos 100 percent agree with you 100 percent. he was a kardashian by the end it was just he was famous for being famous he went broke unbelievable they were like i was a good businessman i used bankruptcy for my benefit and i'm like that was because you were a bad businessman but i stumbled upon an expression yesterday that i think totally applies to him his father and elon musk and it's called the political entrepreneur so all of them got their money from exploring exploiting the government. So the father, the Trump's father used congressional funding for projects and stuff. Trump himself uh, got through the back door. Nobody else would have been able to get it this way. The casino license, because he did rub elbows with the bent nose types in New York. And you just would never have been able to get that. He had some sketchy dealings that were covered up. And then um, so you're in a completely isolated industry where if you get that license, it should be a license to just print money. And the same thing with that post office in D.C. He shouldn't have been able to own that post office. And it was just a license to print money, which I think Diane Feinstein's husband was a part of. And then, um, so he, so he, he was just uh, government connected and getting his money every, all the way up. And yet he acted or he was accepted by the right. In addition to his immigration stance, which you say, obviously he hired illegal immigrants. He married immigrants. He was, uh, an adulterer, serial adulterer. Like this guy was not, you know, shouldn't have been accepted by the Christian right. Even my mother used to think that he was uh, no good, Nick. And then all of a sudden she was charmed and would say, he loves this country i don't care i'm like i don't i don't know about that mom i can't i that was the thing i couldn't fathom is how it is that especially all these christians right who in the past i look i'm i'm, I'm 50 years old so i remember the moral majority uh i remember when it was like it's about character uh i remember all that and that's a hoof gone you know what I mean? Uh, he, he became God's imperfect instrument to do God's work all of a sudden. <laughs> uh, yes. You know, uh, what did Brother Ali said? They're holding open auditions for the part of David, right? Uh, you know, here we go. The, the, this is what I, I couldn't believe it. I said, I said to Roger Stone, come on, man, this has to be a joke. Uh, he can't be serious. I didn't think he would win the first time uh, because, uh, look, I, I should have known better, though. I mean, even the CIA couldn't have stolen the election for Hillary with a straight face. Nobody was enthusiastic about that woman, period. So I guess I should have known better, but I was in total disbelief. Me too. Uh, because, again, like you said, the immigrants, uh, I went to Trump properties. I went to the casinos. I went, and you know what? Find somebody there who could even speak English sometimes. But I knew people who worked there. I knew guys who worked in the kitchens. I knew guys who worked security. I knew guys, come on. You know, so I knew plenty of people that worked with him and for him. And by the way, any of the time when he was a builder in New York, uh, you know, take a look at that whole cement. Like how it is about cement at the time. Uh, and he built the whole building out of cement, which was crazy. Well, but but Castellano ran that. Okay, that was how Castellano made most of his money. Come on, you know, you couldn't get more than enough to pour a driveway in New York. Definitely. No, I know. And that that brings me 
to something else that you mentioned. This is something I heard you talk to Sam about. And I had so many similar issues with Giuliani. I mean, first of all, he took out the Italian mob and guess what filled the void? The Russian mob. And you said something about, I don't know what it was, like he was picking and choosing who he was going after for um, one violation or another. And I personally had this experience where it was my birthday and I'm a real New Yorker. I used to smoke Marlboro Reds, a pack a day. And so I was a heavy smoker and I liked martinis and I was just absolutely infuriated when Giuliani, after Bloomberg had failed to do it, Giuliani shoehorned the smoking ban into New York through a health regulation. And my husband was really sweet about presents back then. Uh, and he he found a steakhouse in New York that allowed smoking still. Like they did some, jumped through some kind of hoops and got this exemption from that law. And I went, he got us the best table in the house and we were sitting there and I was smoking my cigarettes, drinking my martini. And and, but what happened was the waiter came up to me and said, oh, you should be so honored you're sitting at the mayor's table. And I was like, what? And she said, yeah, this is where the mayor likes to sit when he smokes his cigars. And right over there is the attorney general smoking his cigar. And I was like, that was just so galling to me because I was so mad at Giuliani for taking the smoking away. And he carved out his own favorite. I think it was called Frank's, if I'm not mistaken, his own favorite steakhouse to to smoke it. And it was just the worst. And the same thing with like gypsy cabs. He, as soon as he, he tried to get a gypsy cab and they wouldn't do it because they knew who he was. And then the next day he just cracked down on gypsy cabs. So when they said, oh, Ubers have taken over New York and they can't stop it, I knew that it was just complete, a, a total setup because they were stopping gypsy cabs, which you can call an Uber and shut it down. Gypsy cabs are a little squirrely, but he, yeah, he was very selfish in that way. No, but that's what that is the way policy was always run. And again, I pointed out not all of the mob took a hit while Giuliani was the mob buster. See, you got to look at who didn't get hit. <laughs> okay. Because there are groups that didn't get like hit. Like who? Because I'm thinking Russians, you know, just the Russian mob took over. That's true. That's true. But there were Italians that were untouched as well. Okay. I'm just saying. You got to take a look at who still was able to operate, you know, pardon me, but who was still able to operate their whorehouses, okay? Who was still able to operate the massage parlors uh, after he cracked down? Take a look. You'll find that there were still some in operation for a long time after he cracked down on all that, okay? It happened. So let me ask you this. Okay, so we, we've taken out some sacred cows here. Let's let's talk about Putin. What do you think about, is Putin, is there a cabal and everybody sits around a table and they're in complete agreement about uh, everything and they're all playing roles? Are, are some people self-serving? Is Putin self-serving? Is he serving the cabal? What do you think? My opinion on Putin is pretty simple. Uh, he, he's a part of a competing faction, okay? Uh, and, and these people do compete with each other. Make no mistake. Otherwise, there'd be no reason for conflict. We, we'd have a full-on one world order already uh, if there wasn't competition. Um, and, and it appears to me as though Putin is attempting to reassemble. And, and he's another one who went through the, uh, the PSYOP process, the, uh, the PR process as well. You know, again, track what they did with alternative media for a long time. Uh, we were fed RT as a great alternative, right? to RMSM because they were willing to tell some truths about some of the ugliness in America. And that's true. 
And I mean, I've even tried to go over this with Lee Camp and other people who have been on RT uh, and all that, and and they don't they don't really want to hear it. You're useful. You're useful to them because there is a, a that state run media. Yeah, I that know. State run media. It is not honest, objective source. You know, but when I started doing this in you know in 2013. Uh, it was like they were taken as a uh, gospel by these alt media people. I couldn't understand. It got worse since then. They, just like the internet and so many other things, it comes out as being more um, balanced, more plausible, and then it just starts to shut down little by little. However, it, there is value in getting the other side of the story, but neither of them comes out and says Edward Snowden is fake or uh, you know ISIS is the U.S. Like they because they both want to use that. They like those psyops. I think there are plenty of psyops that Putin just piggybacks on. And I don't know if that's at a certain level an agreement or it's just he knows it's he might as well use it if it's there. Like, why why out Edward Snowden as fake when you can emphasize the bad things he says about America? Right. What's useful is useful. Okay, and there's been plenty useful to Putin who effectively rebuilt, uh, you know, rebuilt the Soviet Union, except the Russian Federation now rebuilt it. But what did he do? He brought in the gangsters, basically, who still had functional business and recreated the government with that. Really a brilliant move. I get it. But uh, but the thing is, this guy is not a good guy. All right. And Ukraine, there are people in Ukraine getting punished for this. OK, that are not Nazis, that are just people trying to get through their lives. OK, the place is literally the size of Texas. All right. We're dumping money into it. This is not a civil black and white issue uh, is all I'm trying to say. And quite frankly, I, I, I always stand on the side of being anti-war anyway. Yeah, but we did the coup and that and we do have blood on our hands for the eight years of of abuse. The West perpetrated on the right in Ukraine. That That is my position. I can't not state that, but I understand what you're saying. If people are suffering on both sides and Putin, I've been to Russia a couple of times actually. And uh, the the rank and file, like the, the people who I was interacting with who were working cab drivers and stuff, they, I mean, I never met anybody who was like, oh, thank goodness, communism is over and Putin is great. They're like, he's just a rich oligarch and it's super corrupt. And um, although I can't imagine they don't prefer the way it is now to standing online for shoes, but a lot of them said they didn't, they don't really care that I, I, it's very weird. It's very weird. I can't, I can't believe it. But anyway, he's, he was not beloved in the communities that people I interacted with. No, of course not. But look, it's like you and I being held responsible for the torture programs in the Middle East. I mean, uh, you, you, you can't hold an entire uh, uh, people responsible for what the government perpetrated. I mean, it's that simple. You, you know, very well, we, we tortured and main people uh, in Iraq. Okay. Uh, that's just, that's publicly known fact, right? As far as U.S. Uh, assets, they did that. Now, you and I being held responsible for that, not really sensible, is it? No, but you have to also, I mean, we do have a certain responsibility because we are perceived as having a representative government. And I just don't know how to do, uh, you know, the ballot box can't be trusted. We can speak out, but you're right. A lot of that is exploited. And I mean, if you hear Americans that that broadcast out of Russia, you know, obviously 
they're there to make America look bad. It's very propaganda-y. And, and yeah, like I have to, I do try to stay away from acting like there are heroes in this story because there aren't. But, but we have to, we have to deny that we are, that we consent to this from our government because it looks like we consent. This, and you're right. There are no heroes. That is the point that I'm trying to make about this is that nobody is standing on the right side of the situation. This is all what happens when you have an international community that's allowing interference from greater powers on smaller nations. And listen, that's not the only place on the planet it's happening. It's not the only person who's doing it. Uh, you know, what, what, what are we talking about? Things that the United States has perpetrated now, I don't know, ever since I've been alive for sure. Uh, you know, and before that, I know. But, you know, here we go, right? We talked about Vietnam. What do they call it there? The, the United States War of Aggression. Do they really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what they call it. Uh, it was the War of Aggression, the U.S. <laughs> War of Aggression. We call it the Vietnam War. You know, again, I think the people in the South did not want to the communist government imposed upon them either. I mean, this idea of having territorial integrity within a country when regions are absolutely diametrically opposed on how they want to be governed, I'm all for schism. The will of the people should be the thing that is protected and promoted at all times. But you know what? We're not in charge of the whole planet, and we shouldn't be interfering in everybody else's business either, right? So it, it, Agreed. it's, again, a dicey issue. It, who, who's the good guy in the Ukraine situation? I don't have one, okay, Monica? I don't have one to offer. I really don't. Uh, I do know that there was there were some Alexander Zakharchenko was one, but he was assassinated. There were real heroes in those regions. Yeah, there were. But see, here's here's the fun part. Just like in the United States, what happens if you stand up and you start talking about peace or what happens if you stand up and you start talking about? I don't know. Let's let's look out for the people instead of the, uh, uh, you know, various military industrial complexes. What happens to you? Ask Dr. King about it. Ask Malcolm X about it. Uh, ask Bobby Kennedy about it because uh, they all caught bullets. That's what happens. I mean, and that's just here in the U.S. It happens everywhere else. And sometimes yeah. it's the U.S. who does it too. I mean, you can look to Guatemala. You can look to El Salvador. You can look to uh, the various narco states, which we are responsible for propping up and creating. Yeah, sure. <laughs> that's what happens if you try and uh, speak yeah. to the will of the people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what do you think is going on at the top? Like, do you think that... Um, Putin, that he's just acting as the villain because that's what we need? Or is he acting in his own interests? And I mean, how, how fragmented do you think the most powerful echelon is? All right. Well, this is, this is, a, a, this is where I go off the rails with some people, okay? Because here's the thing, a guy like Putin and, you know, the Bidens and the Trumps and all the names of people you know are not really relevant. Uh, because the people that are actually the controllers have a very anti-human agenda and are smart enough to remain in the shadows. Okay. Uh, uh, you know, the Bill Gateses and the people that execute these things. Um, yeah, they're, they're out there for their own interests, but they're also out there serving a greater interest, which has absolutely nothing to do with, look, it doesn't matter how much money somebody has, uh, if, if you control the way it's printed and what it actually represents, right? It doesn't matter if you control a nation. It, 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 these things are small potatoes, okay? 
So yeah, these different actors come up and on the stage, but who's really running the show? You don't see them. Uh, that's the way I look at it. And uh, unfortunately, it's a very anti-human agenda. It's got nothing to do with wanting to kill us all. That's just incidental. Uh, it, it is about control. It is a, a higher spiritual sort of issue that is very difficult to describe, uh, which uh, we constantly have to lay out, I think, by showing these examples of the observable. Uh, but a lot of this is very unobservable in my mind. Now, you might think I'm a nut job now because I said it that way, right? Okay. No, no, I find that actually very interesting. And I want you to tell me more because to say that killing us all is incidental, and I do understand the control part, that's not a mystery to me. But what do you mean? It's Are they trying to like upload us, uh, not well, leave us behind for sure, but is it an experiment? Like, why do you think that killing us all is incidental? Because how many other prison is easy to monetize? You know what I'm saying? It, it, it is about a spiritual currency as opposed to, you know, the, this artificial fiat crap, which all boils down to a digital representation anyway, uh, which can be erased at the snap of a finger. It's nothing. The, all of that is nothing. Sure, there, there is the transhumanist agenda and those that wish to, you know, uh, uh, transcend this world and all that. I can't claim to know the fullness of that agenda. I'm not in on all that stuff. We can see glimpses of it here and there. We can see these scientific advances. People want to go to Mars. People want to go beyond this planet and everything else. It doesn't matter if you wreck this joint if you got the next one waiting for you. I get it. But the fact that we're being destroyed here systematically, it's just, it's all part of just the learning process. It's not, it's like as much consideration that's given to lab rats is what's given to us, really. I think by yeah, these I agree people with that are in control. You know, so to me, it's not as personal as a lot of people want to make it. I mean, it's personal for you and me because we have to suffer through this. We're here and we're, we're facing the brunt of it. The panopticon of weaponry is aimed at humanity in general, you know, and some people would say, well, that makes no sense because aren't these people human too? Uh, maybe not. Or, or they think that they, there's a gateway for them. Or on a spiritual level, they are not the same as us. You understand? That's where I look at On a at spiritual it. level or a physical level? Because there's some people who think that they're actually DNA-wise something different. And then spiritually, I would agree with you. I mean, it, it, you could simplify it and say it's a battle between good and evil, like actual real satanic, the good is the bad kind of stuff. Or an actual, you know, interdimensional phase shift kind of thing. No, that's the thing is that, look, it is, I, if you want to oversimplify it, sure, we could talk about good versus evil, but I think it's about the the ability to lord, the ability to, it's, it's an illusion anyway, these people that think they're actually something different, it's an illusion. It's very much like, uh, you know, how many races are there? One among us, really. You know, that's the bottom line. Uh, the rest is an illusion. Okay, and we could get into the simulation and all that if you wanted to, but uh, honestly, I think it's a waste of time. To me, it's about the, the struggle over what is life, okay? And they, they, they think that somehow they're going to be uploaded into and whatever. Well, maybe, maybe not. Maybe they think they're already there, and we are just part of the process. We're just the lab rats are using to figure out exactly how certain things work, and it takes time. Uh, but that's it. It's not even personal. It's not even like, I mean, yeah, there, there are some things that are gained by suffering. 
uh, you, you, can, you can glean things from it. Uh, we know about certain dark spiritual practices. Again, the hidden knowledge, right? It, it, it is there. It is accessible now more than ever, but, uh, but, but I do believe it's, a, it's an existential battle more than anything. It, it, is, it is far beyond the physical realm. And uh, far beyond the politics and the, 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 the really rudimentary parts of that, which are nothing more than ritual and representation. Um, it, it's, it's well beyond that. I know that sounds, again, like craziness, but. No, I mean, in the spectrum of the people that we talk to, I would say, I mean, I, funny enough, like I was like, I, I used to get a lot of flack for being like totally conspiranoid or whatever. And I actually think that I'm, like the least, you know, the least down the road of conspiranoid now because I, I I have a hard time wrapping my mind around anything that's outside the the three dimensions or the four dimensions, including time. I mean, I'm like, time is linear. You know, this table is here. Uh, you know, this idea, I really live my life like there's a God and I am totally Catholic, but sometimes I just think, and I've read Tolstoy says the same thing. I just think, like, really, I really think that I'm going to die and have a conversation with somebody who knows my name. Like, that's ridiculous. So it's hard, you know, even if, even what I live and want so much to believe, like, it's hard for me to get my mind around. I'm that, I guess, concrete a thinker. So um, but then there are people who kind of embrace the whole spectrum of every, you know, everything from their stuff under Antarctica. And there are, you know, Bigfoots and the ayahuasca is communicating with another dimension and um, all of that. So it doesn't sound like you're, you're, you know, you're not a flat earther. I actually already got yelled at for saying that flat earth was a psyop because I've witnessed the ball earth in many different contexts, including I was in the Concord once and I saw that it was round. That could be an illusion, but there are other things too. So you're not that, you're not a flat earther, right? So there's some... No, no, look, I'm not a flat earther. I, I definitely believe that there is a three-dimensional reality that we have to deal with, but there are things beyond it as well. You know, philosophically, you could say that even things that are created in fictional literature and in fiction in general are simply as real as anything else in a certain, in a, from a certain point of view. Uh, once it has been, once the idea has been realized, it is reality, right? Um, and so on and so forth. There, there's one way to look at it, and then there is the very realistic way. Look, I, I break down. I spent an entire series going through the myths on the JFK's assassination, breaking down stuff that you back with evidence, okay? Uh, you must be able to back things with evidence. What realm are we working in? We're working in the 3D realm. Time being linear, I could argue with you about that. But, yeah, uh, yeah, you know, I'm because sure. we only have the moment that we're in, truthfully, right? Anything that's past is past. The future has not occurred yet. Yeah. Uh, but it, it all does occur at once, after all. And, and from a certain perspective, again, if you're not able to, to, to measure the increments of time, it's, it's kind of irrelevant, too. You're only here for a maximum of 100 years. That's, a, that's not even a blink of an eye in your lifetime, generally speaking, right? So yeah, cosmically, it's irrelevant. We can read cosmically, right? Thank you. Cosmically, we could work from that direction or we could work from let's deal with what is here now in the 3D. I do both. <laughs> okay. Uh, it's not easy. And sometimes you got to switch gears. I get it. 
But even, I wouldn't even poo-poo any of these stuff when it comes to, like, I don't call myself a Christian at all. Uh, I call myself a pagan, actually. But uh, but I don't say that any of the Christian order is, is a lie or inaccurate or anything like that. The Bible's not history, but it doesn't mean that it's false. You know what I'm saying? Things like that. You can take it from a bunch of different directions, all right? There's a philosophical way to look at it. There is a psychological and spiritual way to look at things. And then we can also look at the hard evidence in the, in the 3D world too. You can do it all. It's possible. Tell me a little bit more. This is kind of where we started, but, um, and I, I do have some more time, but I think I want to circle back to why, you know, how you got to do podcasting, why you're doing it and what, you know, what you hope to get out of it or to give through it and the other work you're doing? Well, generally, okay, when it comes to the podcast, I started out with the idea that uh, there was a lot of stuff not being covered, not being done. Uh, and uh, I was complaining to other podcasters and they said, why don't you do it yourself? Uh, <laughs> so yeah. I did. Um, right. James Corbett and uh, it, was, it was James Corbett, Jack Blood and Clyde Lewis mainly that said, well, why don't you go ahead and do it your damn self then if you're going to complain about what we're doing? Uh, so I did. Um, and I started that, uh, didn't, had no idea what I was going to do with it. Just, I was going to do it. Um, and that's all I do now is just, is just, uh, the, the work, you know, through my show. And also I produce suckers. Um, mainly what I want to do is empower people to, uh, to, to learn rarefied information, uh, things that now the MSM is not going to tell you, but also the, the Indian alt media is, is seemingly controlled not to tell you as well. There's a lot of that for sure. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And some of it is for very practical reasons. I get it. You know, uh, uh, some of it's very practical reasons. Some of it's for monetary purposes. Uh, I don't make a lot of money. Uh, I barely survive doing what I'm doing. Uh, you know, but I, but I care about the world that, uh, you know, children that I've, that I have, uh, uh been responsible for are going to inherit. Uh, I've got children in their 20s and I've got an eight-year-old uh, and I want to uh, leave this place just a little better than I found it. And if I can inform people along the way with information they're not going to get elsewhere, then uh, then that's good enough for me. Uh, and I'm also trying to empower other people who have different visions of that, um, you know, through my little network and producing other shows. And I've done that over the years too. I think it's pretty impossible to do what you're doing what I'm doing, like not in some people I know, not a lot, but there are people who really are financially successful with this kind of stuff. But if you're, if that's not your motive and you're not controlled opposition, but you're just doing it because of what you said, and that's my reasons too, there's, you have to have some hope. And I would ask you what, what's your like most optimistic hope for not necessarily the end game of what we're doing, but the most optimistic hope of the world that you are going to end up leaving your kids, that we will leave our kids. And what is kind of your worst case scenario fear of, of if there, if it's too late, if it's too late, where, what are we looking at? What is the future 25 years down the road looking at, or what's like, it would be great if it were this instead. All right. I'll put it to you this way. Uh, look, I, it, it may indeed be too late. Doom and gloom may have already set in and we may not be able to uh, 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 pull back away from this particular epoch. Uh, indeed, human history may be completely erased and we may have to start again. That may be the case. But 
uh, I have this crazy idea that at any given moment, there are enough of us and there is enough of intelligence on the planet. There, there is enough uh, spiritual strength on the planet that if we choose to, we can turn all this around in a second. And uh, it is it is through the force of will. It is through the, the force of intelligence. It is through the force of cooperation. It is through the force of, uh, guess what, being the psychosocial creatures that we are designed to be. We are meant to work together. We are meant to conspire, believe it or not. Uh, we are meant to do that. Anything in human history that's ever been accomplished has been accomplished through conspiracy. We are meant to be conspirators. Okay. And we should conspire to make this place better. And we could, we could, uh, scientifically, we're not running out of resources. Scientifically, we're not running out of anything. Uh, the artificial scarcity that's been imposed upon us is a different issue from the reality which we face. And we could at any moment choose to take hold of the one thing we have in common, which is this little rock that we all inhabit. So I'd, I'd love to optimistically see that. Now, do I know that we are going to do that? No. Do I know that we're capable of it? Yes. Do I think it's too late? Maybe. But there it is. That's how I see it. Yeah, that's, uh, that's excellent. I agree with that. And I think that I, I agree that the scarcity is artificial. I agree that it could just end overnight, like this whole, there big T days, their grip on our minds and to some extent our souls. But I do feel like the one thing that maybe they don't understand because you say they're like literally different of a different nature. And maybe this is why they don't understand it. But I feel like our nature is that we have a moral imperative that we do understand the concept of right and wrong, good and evil. And we can distinguish between them. And we understand that one makes, you know, is, is more right, more correct. And then we have reason, we have free will, we can do it, we can use all these things. And that would totally neutralize them overnight if there, ha if there really were um, a, an awakening. So I agree with you, that is hopeful and that is our hope and it's definitely within the realm of possibility. I, I do, I'm starting to think just as we're talking that there might have to be just a moment, a moment that Big T they fears, but a moment where something happens that's just too much. And, and I was hoping that it was that dumb derailment story, which it looks like, you know, bad things happened in Ohio for sure. But the fact that it happened in the town where the movie that they made about it in advance was made, that movie White Noise documentary. I don't know if you've been following this story, but there was a documentary made or a movie made in East Palestine about a train derailment and a toxic air event. And then here you are a year later and it actually happens. And I'm like, okay, if you don't think that there, if that's not a moment where you're like, this is ridiculous, that that is impossible. If you still think that the world is just has these highly mutable laws of coincidence, you know, gosh, I don't know what the moment has to be if that wasn't good enough. Um, but anyway, so I, I, I think there might be a moment and they better watch out because it would it would be the end for them because this is all is all they're only getting this done through the consent of the people they're oppressing. No, that that that's absolutely right. And here's what the problem is. That's not a large enough event. That's not large enough, I think. Uh, you know, we, we, we need something that is a codifying and a, a codifying event that uh, really does galvanize the masses in general. It, it, we, we, we have to. 
begin to accept that we have a great deal more in common, all of us, uh, you know, than we than we have to uh, against one another. We have to stop with this because we have been purposely positioned to be opposition to one another. We're busy fighting over uh, a political and social uh, idiocy as opposed to actually turning our attention people that are literally uh, uh, running the anti-human agenda. That is happening. Uh, I don't care if you're a conspiracy theorist or not. You must see that part of it. Uh, and, and at some point, yeah, there has to be an event that will. Uh, but, but you know, so it's not going to be something like that. That's not good enough. That's not good enough. How many times do we have to get things shoved in our face? You know, the predictive programming. You know, they created Soma, a drug after it was uh, in, in literature. They created <laughs> no! all these things. I mean, come on. How, how many times do we have to see that, you know, Skynet is real? How, how many times do we have to see that, you know, uh, gee, I wonder why it is we're floating around all these little helicopter toys. Well, get used to the drones overhead. So what is the moment then? If it can't be just an awakening, what what must it be? What Then what is the hope for that thing to happen, for us to neutralize them through force of will or or just stop cooperating? Like, what is it? If I knew what that moment was, I would be doing everything in my power to set it off. Yes. And yeah. I would be working with others to set it off. So well, I, think I don't we know. Are. That's the truth. We don't know what that moment is, but I do think we're trying to position ourselves to, to keep the information flow going so that we can, um, if it's there, we can communicate it. Because that was the thing with Ohio. If people didn't know about that movie, they can't know. But you're right. Even if they did know, they wouldn't care. So it's it's got to be bigger than that. Right. And there's a weird thing going on with Ohio in general, by the way. Ohio in general, for some reason, is a pivot point. I don't know what's going on there. They're after the Amish. Well, they fed it through the video games now. There's this whole thing about Ohio as the place where things are crazy. Uh, I think there's something else going on there, and I don't know. I don't know. But there, there's something to this where we're seeing a lot more a lot more events going to occur right there for some reason. They did Georgia. They did Texas. They, they just have to go state by state. That's what I think they're doing. And Ohio is bad because the Amish would be this little control group that doesn't take vaccines and stuff and you'll just you can just look at their rates of autism or or strokes or heart attack i mean that's what i was worried about the amish is that they 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 it can't word can't get out that they are a control group that could be studied on either side they don't want to be studied and and the big t they does not want them to exist but okay so I want to wrap it up. We've both had some connectivity issues, I think, today. So we, I think we should do this again. We should do it again with, you know, like some current events just hit. Maybe I'll just, you know, I do these deep dives as often as I can. And I'll just take one event, like the train derailment, and I'll just do a 45-minute show on that, do as much research as I can in a day or two. And maybe just uh, I'll accumulate a few of those topics and see what you're working on. And we can get back together and do a little rapid fire that only New Yorkers can do. But as it is, I keep talking over you, and a real New Yorker would like <laughs> let the other one but we can't our connectivity is um interrupting our flow babe so we'll have to do it again just to uh that's all right use it as an excuse anyway to do it again sounds good so tell people where they can find you real simple ocelli.com o-c-h-e-l-l-i.com that's the main place to go i got a link tree around on social media and stuff uh, a whole bunch of things but that's the main place 
That's awesome. Thank you so much. And uh, I greatly appreciate your time today, Chuck. I was really looking forward to it. I love exchanging ideas with people who think so deeply about so much and so broadly. I love the big picture stuff as well. And I can't wait to dig into some specific issues with you next time. Really appreciate your time and attention. That's Chuck Ocelli at Ocelli.com and the Ocelli Effect podcast. And you have been listening to me, Monica Perez on Deep Dives. Dives.